0: and then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl.
1: But it takes me into the bathroom and says,
0: "This is how you brush your teeth: brush, rinse, repeat. Brush, rinse, repeat. Brush, rinse, repeat." But there were two girls, and it was like he'll have to give us a ride. He can't fill us though. He can't refuse. He'll let us in his car. the car. Thoughts were all alone in the. This doesn't look right. They got close enough where
2: he said he could see, you know, their eyes and, and how intelligent they seem. This
0: doesn't look right. These gremlin-type creatures. This doesn't look right. No pupils, no iris. Three fingers, three long fingers. And this is when the mental
3: torture ended. And then it was eerily quiet. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, we're rolling. Every time, dude. (laughs) Every time. Anyway,
2: uh guys, guess who this is? (laughs) Are you surprised? No. Uh honestly I've been here the whole time. I've just been sleeping on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We we really we
4: really have uh You've really been here the entire time. We yeah. just been we just been fooling everybody.
2: It's just every time we get ready to start the podcast, you're usually asleep throughout the entire thing. Well, see the thing that's is, what's really been going on. Yeah, my, well, my my life degraded back into homelessness again, and so Rob was nice enough to let me stay on the couch here in the studio. Yeah, he's got a couple of nice couches to, cr- to crash on, <laughs> and that's your couch, dude. That's
4: that's your that's your sleepy time couch over there.
2: <laughs> well. Um, now that we're not recording Sundays, it's not sleepy mm-hmm. time for me. I'm wide awake, and my new year's resolution was to drink less and be hungover less. And of course, so,
4: you do have some old Smoky over there.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, I, what,
4: what, is that, what is that you're drinking
2: on? What's that, ma- what's that mango called? Mango habanero that my brother oh, gave me just geez. because.
4: Yeah, I, I, we, I had like a couple of sips right before we started, <laughs> and it's just... Uh it's tasty and
2: delicious is what it is
4: uh it, it, See? it tastes like just horrible candy to me
2: i don't know rob and i have the constitution to handle it because we're men. <laughs> that's right
4: yeah. yeah i guess i'm not a man then <laughs> i guess i just can't take it oh my god well, we have missed you sir man and the, the audience
2: too. has missed you they have and, and you know i them reaching out to me, messaging me on Facebook, talking about where are you at and stuff like that. When are you coming back? I was just like, dude, you know what? I can open up my busy schedule to be here.
4: See, you have fans. <laughs> you have fans out there. I think we have to thank Chris Wolford, don't we? Yeah, because he yeah. was the one. Ma- he was one mainly. of the ones that because uh, that's texted my homie. You. Yeah, that's your homie. Yeah, you, you guys both love metal, so yeah, we
2: like like pretty much every one of each other's statuses. Mm. Good, Rob. How the hell are you?
1: I'm great, man. How've you been since uh, uh, last night?
4: Oh yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> last night. It's supposed to be a week between, dude. Don't,
2: Sorry.
1: Do you
4: remember yeah. breaking down the
2: audio magic, the
4: audio wall, or whatever? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Never let him behind the scenes. So how's life? Oh, has got cute. the big old scar in your hand. Yeah, you know, I got some
1: scotch. I got a cigar. Mm-hmm. Some friends. <laughs>
2: I told Rob he looked like Sarge from Quake Three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're a
4: true producer, Rob. You got the with a cigar and just you just bark orders at people. And
1: yeah, like the the scary '70s, like I'll kick your ass kind of producer. Though, yeah,
2: right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one that's all coped up. Yeah,
4: <laughs> the 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 need more cowbell producers. <laughs> Do you think we should get some more cow cowbell and uh, and Gets paranormal? I think we need some. I mean, it never hurts. I've always wanted to do like a mix CD, or I guess now you have to do a playlist of just like Cowbell's Greatest Hits. So you'd have like Nazareth, Hair of the Dog.
2: Yeah, you'd even have metal songs and, uh, too, though. There's like, a bunch uh, of metal songs. Slow song Ride. With Heavy Cowbell in them.
4: Yeah. Um, you know, what was up with the 70s and Cowbell? Why was that such a thing? Sounds on good. Musical guys, you you, you yeah. Might, you it might sounds some good.
2: Well, like not even talking about like you know actual drum set cowbell. cowbell. Think about uh, hip hop and rap, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> there's more cowbell in that genre than any other. So, Luke, I understand that you have been working on a lot of songs lately. Yeah, I I realize that uh, we actually played one.
4: On the show played the glow song
2: oh god please no they actually had somebody it. ask
4: who it was somebody said that they liked it and asked who it was for real yeah yeah i tagged you on
2: that on facebook yeah i saw that uh, i don't yeah i don't like it actually i deleted that song so I, I was gonna say i like, like it i think it's a good song i feel like all my songs i've made up to this point are shit so i've been <laughs> i've been like just completely obsessed with watching tutorials with all my free time. like guess that's where all my free time goes into now is I want that's to That's sound- where
4: he's been, guys. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's 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 going to become a hip-hop mogul here pretty soon.
2: Uh, not just hip-hop, dude. I'm, I'm trying to do, like, multi-platform, yeah. and that's what's eating up all the time. I want to hear this one that you wrote for Adam.
1: Yeah. We should yeah. tack it on to the end of the show.
4: <laughs> yeah, we should. I'm, yeah, you need to get that to me so we can put this put that on the end of this show. Well, if- I mean, I, that's
2: possible. I, it's I, your new, it's your new wave song, man. I only spent like you know twenty minutes making it or something, <laughs> so I yeah, could put he, another thirty minutes into it. And he finish knew,
4: it. he knew that I was coming over, and so he made a new wave style song in like what thirty minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. So I go over there, and it's, he plays me this song. It's called Promises. It sounds just like
2: the Cars. <laughs>
4: Although I did find a new wave song that sounded that sounded very reminiscent of it. So I think you're channeling some things. Well
2: you're gonna find a lot of new wave songs that are pretty yeah. similar.
4: Yeah, well it's all about electronic drums and that kind of you stuff. You know, my,
2: my biggest new wave influence is silent circle. <laughs> <laughs> what did I say what did I say at the time? I don't think their circles are so silent. <laughs> <laughs> There's a
4: lot. There's a lot going on there. Uh, that's there's too much to. Well, I was going to say unpack, but that might be a little. Uh, that might be a little inappropriate. Oh, we're packing. <laughs> See, that's why we love you, Luke. That's why the audience loves you. You know, because you just like you, you. You just incredibly offensive yet funny at the same time.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. I love being offensive.
4: Absolutely. How, how's how's the how's the fry life? How's that fry life going?
2: Man, I, I have actually mastered fry since last time I was on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been my lifelong dream. You are a master of the fry. You know, honestly, though, dude, um, they even the, the GM tells me on a regular basis that you're our most valuable asset. Like, please don't wow. quit this job. She's like, please don't quit. <laughs> You know. Meanwhile, my bro- my brother's vice chairman of his company and makes you know like seventy five, eighty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> yeah. The
4: most valuable fry guy. The most valuable fry guy in you, East Nashville. We'll get, we need a shirt that says that the most valuable fry guy. Actually in East have Nashville. one.
2: Yeah, but not. I mean, not most valuable, but it says Walmart University uh, Fry Training Program. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, dude. <laughs> <laughs> this is
4: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, so tonight we've got on uh, Wren Collier. And this will be the second time that Wren has been on the show. And don't really know what to expect. Um, we're going to – I just hit up Wren, and uh, I heard him drop some hints about kind of his political views. And his political views are rather unlike any of the other guests that we've had on the show, as in, like, he's like – really kind of ultra left like almost like well i think he describes himself as a communist so this will be interesting <laughs> <laughs> i think it will be a good good discussion but i want to talk a little bit about bitcoin with him too do you guys know anything about that about bitcoin
1: uh what all i know is it? this, it's like a virtual currency mm-hmm. yeah which uh i think makes a lot of sense as far as the future i think that's kind of where things are going to go and I think it was kind of inevitable. Because, I mean, it's, you know, m- money o- only holds the-, the value that we uh, put into it, you know, that we believe in it. It's the only reason it works anyway. So it doesn't need to be like, you know, it's not like, it's not that coins in your pocket are worth what they say they're worth. They're not made of gold or silver or anything sure, anymore. Sure, you know? yeah,
4: yeah, not anymore. It's like 1973, everything's pretty much
1: so, fiat well, currency. Yeah, so, so what's the difference if it's like a, a paper note or if it's just like a, you know, ones and zeros in a computer, which is... Most of what everything is anyways, transferring from bank to bank to bank to bank. That's true.
4: But <coughs> the thing is, is that like, apparently, I mean, it's apparently it's been like, it raises like really high in value. And I think it took a dip today, the day we're recording this on the 23rd.
2: What do you know about it? Um, I know enough that like, if, if you started out, okay, well, let me, let me go back. Several years ago, you know, I had some nerd friends that were buying the Bitcoin uh crates that cost them several hundred dollars and they uh. were they were um chipping off, you know, the remainders and stuff and like they were b- building up bitcoins that were like virtually worthless back then, but it was a hobby for them back then. They weren't making any money from it, but it was like a nerd sort of niche thing to get into. And those that just like held on to their Bitcoin accounts and just forgot about them now, you know, those, those Bitcoin that used to be worth like 40 cents each or something like that have become like thousands of dollars each. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I just looking something up here and it says that. Um, that's what I don't understand. I thought people were just investing in like the stock of it. But it's the actual currency itself that the value is raising. Right, it's the actual currency. Yeah. And I don't know how it's determined. I have no, like, absolutely no idea. Well, it's sort
2: of like an exchange rate thing, right? It's an international yeah. currency or something. It's just like it's just like um any other currency that's not, not cryptocurrency but any real currency that's ever existed. Like the people are the ones that that are responsible for placing the value in it, you know? So like everyone started jumping on board seeing or noticing that people were like getting a payout from it. So um, you know, because of that Every, everyone jumping on board, like the value goes up and up and up. You know, the more people in, invest in it, but are
4: people actually cashing in on it? Like they, actually
2: cashing? They into- were, but it's declining now. You know because it it became so popular. Social media, the news, even everyone started talking about it, and so now um, it's devaluing at a rapid pace because people are dropping out because they're you know they're afraid of uh, right. They're afraid of lose, losing losing what they've gained so far so which kind of
4: seems like a run like a run on the stock market or a run on a bank it, it It's like similar it's the, well
1: it's just something new that increased and, it, and it, it'll find its it'll find its place and balance out and plateau and you know and right. that'll, that'll be it yeah.
4: Well well here's some here's some levels on it um this is just from googling just now on my phone it says uh vol- volatile ki- cryptocurrency hit a record high when it passed 19000 in mid-December, but then tumbled rapidly, falling to below $12,000 within days. Its value has shifted unpredictably ever since with frequent wild drops and recoveries. However, it now appears to be on the up. It is worth $11,340 as of Tuesday afternoon, UK time, according to the Coinbase exchange. So that's the latest on it. That's about $11,000. I guess that's pure... Per coin. So, I yeah. mean, where do people even like? You know, I guess this is just information that's like stored on the computer, or they it, it buy is, them yeah. somewhere. It, it's or, all
2: just digital, yeah. right? And
4: then the mining stuff. Do you understand that? How
2: that works? Well, yeah, um, I don't know now nowadays, but like I like I was saying before, I know what they were doing earlier uh, because people actually are making transactions with Bitcoin. Um, and I, I don't, I've never actually seen a site myself that accepts Bitcoin, but apparently someone's making transactions trading Yeah, and there was always like, just like, uh, less than a penny in, in in relation to real money, uh, exchanges going on and the bit mining crates that you could buy and build yourself, like which were little servers, like little server crates. Uh, you, you could you could ram- you could collect those remainders that were happening on a mass scale. If you f- if you found the channels that you know it was going through, uh-huh. so um, yeah, that's that's how they were collecting all these little cent remainders, and it was building up. I got you. So currently, according to Coinbase,
4: I clicked on that link. It says ten thousand five hundred eighty five hundred and eighty dollars is the value right now, as of what is it, the day, the twenty third. Yeah, and that's from a high of like 17,027. It looks like. So, different information, but that could be just the latest the latest info. Now, I have heard that in Asheville, North Carolina, for some reason there's like a Bitcoin, there's like a vending machine or something that takes Bitcoin or I don't or or some something like that. What
2: can you buy with it though? Well, Do you actually buy anything with it? Yeah. I- I don't know that that would be a simple Google search if you just typed in, you know, like what, what actually uses Bitcoin
4: yeah.
2: as a payment method. Okay. I'm sure right. it would give you a list,
4: but. So we'll type in who uses Bitcoin. Let's see here. And that's really not giving me much. Who accepts Bitcoins as a payment? List of companies.
2: I can just hear. So many people scoffing right now in, oh, my, yeah, yeah. in my head. <laughs> well,
4: well, well, the thing is, is that I'm new to this. Yeah, me and, too. And, and, you All know, three of us. Well, actually, I remember hearing about it back on like the No Agenda podcast. I'm talking about it in 2012, 2013. And then you didn't, I didn't really hear anything about it. I mean, Guy Malone was talking about it in, when we were in Roswell, he was telling me some stuff and that was earlier last, that was in the middle of last year. But then all of a sudden, in like November and December, and this month, all of a sudden, people have been talking about it a lot, right? And I've went on the Nox Mente podcast, and those the, uh, the the hosts of that they both are like Bitcoin, I guess, investors, and they were really talking it up. And I've heard the cruising with state guys. I'll give them a shout out. They're some of your biggest fans, Luke. Oh, nice! Remember those were the guys we talked to, and then we went on that other podcast. But anyway, uh, so list of companies who accept who accept bitcoins as payments: KFC Canada, Overstock.com, Subway, <laughs> Microsoft, Reddit, Virgin Galactic, OK Cupid, Namecheap, Cheap Air, Expedia, Gift, New Egg wikipedia i guess that's a
0: donation donations yeah
4: Alza, the internet archive bitcoin.travel makes sense Pembury tavern old fitzroy the pink cow the pirate bay now yeah. i remember that the donation. pirate bay thing
2: okay everything's free there so yeah, yeah donation
4: <laughs> yeah well no i'm thinking of something else actually Yeah, uh, actually what i'm thinking of is the silk road Remember the Silk Road? Mm-mm. That's what they were talking about on No Agenda. Silk Road was a website where you could buy, like, illegal drugs and get them shipped to you.
2: Oh, it's probably on the and dark it, web. And now. it
4: only, yeah, it is. Because they, it, they, it got pretty much shut down, and the owner of it, or the, yeah, the owner of it got, like, prosecuted and arrested. <laughs> um, yeah. So mm-hmm. those are some of the ones. PizzaForCoins.com, Whole Foods. That makes sense. <laughs> I'm gonna go to Whole Foods and use my Bitcoin. A <laughs> class limousine, mint dot com. I I just wonder if uh this is gonna come crashing down or this is here to
2: stay. So I
4: think when we, we get rent on, we'll ask him
2: about that. Man, I would I would bet on here to stay because already it's been like what, something like ten years? Or almost ten years. I don't
4: know. I don't know because I remember hearing about it in 2012. It might have started then. Oh nine is when it started. Oh
2: nine. Okay.
4: Okay. Okay. But nobody. Like I don't remember much of anybody talking about it. But there's all these other cryptocurrencies too now. So I wonder how they're all trying to just jump shit. They are faring. Yeah. But yeah. see, that's the th- I, I was jump trying on to- the bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. I'll,
1: yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> Wrong expression.
1: Yeah, I was just reading up on it, and I still don't understand it. I don't, well, like, yeah, it is blockchains kinda to... and all that kind of thing, like, computations and how people come up with these. And if you acquire, like, a new, um, through your, if, if you manage to be the first person to compute, this blockchain or whatever, and you get the, the 12.5 or whatever bitcoins allotted to you that are worth, like, $225,000 for doing that right now. I yeah, just, I don't I don't understand what any of that means. I just yeah. I just regurgitated something I read, but like it makes no sense to me whatsoever.
4: Yeah, well we'll see. And and another thing too, I think this is like kind of a um I think people that come from a more like anti-government philosophy or that they are uh that they're they like to use this like, like, like Silk Road. You well, know? it's
1: it's it's a decentralized thing. It's It's, it's, it's unregulated, yeah. and it's not the thing that draws me to it is It's not rooted in our our current like super corrupt, evil banking system that we're all trapped in. You know the yeah. But yeah, it's not even. I mean, it's it's almost not even a viable currency at this point. There's a lot of vendors that'll take it, but nobody major. You know, you're not gonna buy something off of Amazon with Bitcoin or
2: yeah. You know. Overstock right. seems to be but pretty popular. KFC
4: apparently you can and Subway.
1: Overstock takes it?
2: Yes, yeah, that's, yeah, really, that's yeah, that's
4: one off, of the that's one of the the well, companies.
1: That's pretty major. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the
4: others are Fight for the Future, leading organization fighting for internet freedom. That makes sense. Yeah. IP Mart Curry Up Now, a total of 12 restaurants on the list of restaurants accept bitcoins in San Francisco Bay Area. Dish Network Libertarian Party. There we go. <laughs> Euro Pacific CEX Straub Auto Repairs, which is just one place in Hudson, New York. Uh yachtbase.com. Intuit, the software company. It's a big list, actually.
1: Yeah, they said about a hundred thousand vendors, though oh, most wow. of them are smaller.
4: Naughty America
2: takes uh Bitcoin. Naughty America. Naughty America. Yeah. Uh, if I need any butt plugs, I know where to go now. <laughs>
4: and uh apparently uh that's my face that creates action figures. Mm. That uh that takes
2: bitcoins Bitcoin too. That was in the Mall of America that day that you guys were at the conference. Oh, was it really? Yeah.
4: So both Naughty America and Save the Children take Bitcoin. <laughs> Think about that.
2: I know where my money's going. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we're about time to get the guest on, so we're going to get Ren on. Maybe he can help uh, explain a little bit of this to us. And, guys, we'll be back on Conspira Normal. Hey guys, back on Conspire Normal. And uh Windows 10 acted up again as usual. We don't know what was going on, whether it's it going was to at happen in or us,
1: but this episode is going to happen.
4: Yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> but we have struggled sometimes <laughs> since since uh Rob's computer updated to Windows 10, Ren. It's been just like it's just been weird, one weird thing after another. <laughs> yep. See, it used to be that you could call two people. Two different phone numbers, but you can't do that anymore. You could do a phone number and someone on Skype, but you can't. Or you could do many different people on Skype, but you can't do the phone number stuff, which is a little frustrating.
3: Yeah, that is. So
4: that's what we experienced with the the Travis when we had Travis Walton on. Mm -hmm. We were trying to get him and Jennifer Stein on at the same time but it didn't work.
2: He was probably just getting white boy wasted, dude.
4: Getting white boy wasted. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's a story behind that. (laughs) (laughs) Luke had, uh, when we were at the paradise symposium, actually in Minneapolis, man, Mm -hmm. uh, we had, uh, Rob ended up taking Travis Walton and, uh, Richard Dolan back to the hotel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Luke asked them if they wanted to go get white boy wasted with him.
3: <laughs> <laughs> where in where Minneapolis was that? Uh, when was that?
4: Uh, it was May of 2016.
3: Oh, okay. Yeah. Did they have it in uh, downtown Minneapolis
2: or was it in like no, St. No,
4: it was, I can't remember. I don't remember the, like it, it was close to downtown Minneapolis. It was like maybe
2: six miles away.
4: Yeah, because like Luke walked okay. all the way from the hotel to downtown mm. Minneapolis. <laughs>
2: oh man, I was tired of paying for Uber.
4: Yeah, and uh, at least, we we at had a you guys g- got
3: to see it in May. At least May's a, a good month to come up here.
4: Yeah, it was cold for some of the time, mm. uh, but we 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 actually got offered to to to, to uh, buy some coke from somebody. Yeah. Ten
1: the- seconds, ten seconds after we got to downtown. Right, we found a place to park, got out of the vehicle, and someone was like, "Hey guys." <laughs> He's
4: like That's man. He's like man. You want some coke?
3: <laughs>
1: did you get? Did you get some?
4: No, oh, yeah,
3: get totally. <laughs> we didn't get any. that that would be wild. Just get uh, fucking doing eight ball with um, Travis Walton and, and Richard Dolan. <laughs> <laughs> we
4: were we were trying to uh, we were trying to we were trying to go to a strip club, but Joe, our, our friend Joe, nixed that. He, he didn't want to cheat on his wife. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, that's totally not cheating by the way.
3: <laughs> Does he understand what a strip club is? I don't think there'd be a whole lot of cheating going on. Mostly him just, uh, cheating his money out of his pocket. Yeah. It'd just, be, <laughs> it'd just, be blue, just
4: be blue balls. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we got you on here, man, to talk about your political beliefs, which, uh, mm-hmm. I think are pretty interesting. Uh, you're one of the few communists that I know. Are mm-hmm. uh, you declare yourself a communist. But uh, we were talking about Bitcoin in our intro. And mm-hmm. uh, are you an investor in
3: Bitcoin? I am. I'm, I do cryptocurrency trading. I've been doing it since uh, last June.
4: So does that mean not just Bitcoin, but other, some of the other cryptocurrencies too?
3: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I typically get Bitcoin and then I trade it for altcoins like Ethereum, Ubik, Stratus. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, and... You know, I've had some losses and I've had some wins, but overall, um, you know, I've, I've done pretty good for myself doing it, I'm not rich by any means, but you know, sure. I'm, I have more money than I started with, which is, is always good. So
4: uh, Like how does it, how does it work? Like, how does, like, how does Bitcoin work? I guess is the question. Well,
3: you mean in theory or in, a, in an aspect of like trading with it?
4: I guess in theory and in reality.
3: Okay. So, like, in theory, uh, Bitcoin is a virtual, quote-unquote, currency um, that was uh, created several years ago by a mysterious entity known as Satoshi Nakamoto, who is probably several people that were using some sort of, you know, like a a pen name. Gotcha. But the basic idea is is you have um, a system of ledgers and transactions that are built on top of what's called a blockchain. A blockchain, a lot of people like to use that word. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Um, I'm going to give you a really simple explanation of this. So imagine you're playing a card game with your friends, but all of you forgot to bring money. Okay. But you decided you're still going to play for money. So you need to keep track of who wins what and who loses what, right? Okay. So you could have somebody in the group decide they're going to keep all the records. Okay. Just one person. All right. That's the way our current system is with the banks. Okay. You just got, one person that keeps track of all the transactions. Now, all the other people, you know, you want to trust your friends, but you can't necessarily trust them when there's money on the line, right? Like, you know, who knows that person could um, change things if that person forgets to do something, you know, it, it messes everything up. So the idea behind blockchain is like, everybody keeps a record of it. Okay, so everybody at the poker table keeps a record of who owes who what, and who wins and who loses. Now, if somebody at the Table decided to get cheeky and say that they won more than they really did. Well, then you could compare their record to everyone else's and say, No, you're lying. And then you could form a consensus and throw their record out. Okay. Okay. That's the way blockchain works it's a distributed ledger of transactions. That's simply that. And like you hear about people mining Bitcoin, what a miner does is they operate one of those ledgers on their computer, okay, or a bunch of computers. You know, but basically what, this, what that does, anytime a transaction comes across the network, it has to have so many confirmations from independent ledgers to say, yes, this is a valid transaction. And in order to make those confirmations, it has to do basically a math puzzle. Um, and the way Bitcoin's set up, those math puzzles get increasingly hard as time goes by and the coins are released. Now, there's like a finite number of the coins. So by nature, Bitcoin is deflationary, right? There's only ever going to be, I think it's like $21 or something like that. Yeah. So, you know, in practice, it was originally conceived as a way to do, like, you know, basically trustless transactions across the internet without any need for a middleman or banking system or anybody. You know, you can send money from here to your friend in China, and it doesn't cost – it costs barely anything to do it, and there's nobody in the middle – Stop you, and it's pretty much instantaneous. Now, that's vastly different than what we have today. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever tried to wire transfer money overseas, but it takes, it can take a long time, and the fees are crazy.
4: Right, and you got to deal with exchange rates, all that. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, so it's a way to get around that. Now, in practice, what Bitcoin has become, um, because we got to remember, Bitcoin was a very old idea at least in terms of how fast technology moves this day it's been around for i don't know like five or six years now so the technology with different coins that have like you know what they call altcoins is actually better than what bitcoin's currently doing and and so bitcoin's become more of a store of value like gold so it's better to think of it as like digital gold um, you basically you can use it to trade for other coins you know you can use it to hold its value um and if you ever hear people talking about oh bitcoins like a digital currency they probably don't know what they're talking about like no one should be using Bitcoin to buy things okay gotcha like it it costs the transaction fees are too high um, the speed is not what it I think what it could be um, there's improvements on it because it's an open source project so there's constantly improvements on uh, you know the source code of it and things may improve later but In general, like, you know, I'm sure you've all have heard the story about the Bitcoin pizza, about how the guy spent like, you know, two thousand bitcoins to buy pizza when it was first out. We know when it was worth
4: pennies,
3: (laughs) and you know that's worth millions of dollars today.
4: Mm, Uh, Right now,
3: we can't make fun of him too much because you know he had no way of knowing that it was going to be as valuable as it is today. And in the same fashion, you know, people, you were like, oh, if I just bought Bitcoin at six hundred dollars, you know, I'd be rich now, but Honestly, you probably would have sold, you know, when it hit a thousand or whatever. Like, you probably wouldn't have held on to it. Um, There are plenty of people who used it years ago to like buy drugs and stuff on Silk Road. Right.
4: Yeah. (laughs) We were talking about that. Yeah.
3: You you wouldn't have held on to it as long as you think you would have. Um, But, you know, again, you can't really use something as a currency that has value that is that volatile. You know, like, you can't buy, you can't. Knowably like buy a coffee with something that might Be worth a Lamborghini five years Later you know Like the US dollar is relatively stable In terms of how much it's worth you know It takes decades for inflation to really Show like its Face Um, you know The price of Bitcoin can fluctuate A thousand dollars in a day Easy
4: so let's say if I Have one Bitcoin and right now It's like supposedly worth about Eighteen thousand something as of Today
3: <laughs> about I, a month about a month ago it was. Oh, okay. Right now it's uh, it's hovering between eleven and ten thousand.
4: Okay. Yeah. It's a, so can I go and somewhere and trade my Bitcoin for ten thousand dollars?
3: Yeah. Okay. I mean you would transfer the Bitcoin to an exchange that can make the transaction from uh you know Bitcoin into fiat currency. Like uh, Coinbase is one of them, Gemini is another. And, you know, you transfer your Bitcoin to an address there and you put in, you know, your bank information, like how they wired it to your bank, and you can trade it for U.S. dollars. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of people talk about, oh, you, you can't turn it into cash or anything, or it's hard to, or it doesn't have liquidity. That's that's not true at all. Generally, with those exchanges, um, you have to do, like, verification to, to, like, be in line with U.S. laws. So you generally have to, you know, give them your address and, like, your phone number and that kind of thing. Um with the basic verifications of most of these exchanges like Coinbase, um, you can only withdraw like $10,000 a day, which, I mean, you know, it's a pretty good amount of money anyway. Sure. But there are people who have a lot more than that. Um, but if you do enhance verification where, you know, you provide like your photo ID and, you know, like, like a bill showing that you do live where you live and stuff, and that's all to fit within, you know, U.S. law then you can transfer out like about, I think a hundred thousand a day.
4: So you said that it's finite. So you said there'd be 21 million. Have all those been been mined or
1: is that just over half from what I've read? Okay.
3: Yeah. Yeah. About half. I think that's right. I'm not sure, but yeah, there's, I think it's like 21 or 22. I could be wrong on that.
1: It was 21. Yeah. It's
3: 21. Yeah. So it's like, that is why a lot of people and why I encourage people just to hold it, you know, like, What's, I want to know what the price is going to be when, it, when all of them have been mined, you know, because then you've got something that is, there's never going to be another Bitcoin. Gotcha. And, you know, what does that do to a price? So mostly, you know, I trade in these altcoins. Like, I, you know, I send my Bitcoin to an exchange, uh, sort of like, you know, it's like the U.S. stock exchange. I put in orders, buy, sell orders, that sort of thing. And I buy altcoins, that you know, for projects that, you know, I think are solid. And it's just like investing in a stock, you know, I just, I try to get the best kind of entry price that I can by doing, you know, some technical analysis on the charts and, and then kind of just hold it until mm. it's worth more. And generally, you know, if the price goes up hundred percent, I'll sell half my position, you know, to go ahead and lock in profits. Uh, but the idea is that I'm trading these altcoins to get more Bitcoin.
4: Mm, okay. Because you can
3: make more Bitcoin doing that than just
2: buying it with money I make for my job. So so the altcoins are are basically like a uh, a smaller measurement of the like broken down amount of the bitcoins.
3: Not not really. Um the altcoins are all like their own individual projects. So they're all built on the same kind of idea of the blockchain technology, but some of them have like wildly different goals and stuff. Like um like Ripple is one I'm sure you guys have heard about. It's yeah. been really popular lately. Saw a huge mm. price increase. Um Ripple is a coin that specifically is is well they're aiming for it to be used by banks and financial institutions to transfer large sums of money quickly, uh, which is something that's not possible today. Um, you know I've got problems with Ripple itself because it's a centralized coin, and sort of the idea of Bitcoin and sort of the idea of the blockchain technology in the first place, and why I'm involved with it as a Marxist is because I think it's a revolutionary. Um, it's a revolutionary idea in regards to like the financial markets and bankers, because it takes capital and the control of capital away from bankers and away from central banking, you know? So, you know, Joe can send money to Shirley uh, without having to go through a bank and it cuts into their bottom line, but something like ripple is providing services in a centralized manner where the coins are private and these, financial institutions to form like private payment channels between themselves. I think that goes against the spirit of it, but you know, um, if people believe in that, they believe the project's going to blow up Then, then by all means buy ripple, but it's something that I'm kind of staying away from.
4: And Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme.
3: (laughs) No, it's not a Ponzi scheme.
4: Yeah. That's kind Uh, of an inside joke because uh, you were on cruising with steak and you had a guy (laughs) hang up on you yelling that it was a Ponzi scheme.
3: What was funny was he, he was saying that until he found out that he had a bunch of Steam coins from, uh, you know, it. I don't know if you guys are familiar with It. Yeah,
4: I know it's, yeah, Steemit. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and found out that he had like, you know, like $1,500 worth of Steam. Then <laughs> he was like, oh, okay, it's cool now. But <laughs> I've talked to, to him about it a bit too. Like, we're, we're friends now, and um, he was right to an extent. What he was saying, I, I don't think he understood that there were things other than Bitcoin. And there are Ponzi schemes within crypt- within the cryptocurrency space. The big one that recently blew up just uh, like a week or two ago was uh, BitConnect. Um, BitConnect was a company that was literally fit every single definition of a Ponzi scheme. Like they said, you send us Bitcoin and we've got this trading bot, doing air quotes here, trading bot, that will trade that Bitcoin and it always wins and then we'll pay back you in uh, in U.S. dollars based on like you know the profits from this this magical trading algorithm that they couldn't actually prove existed. And a lot of people bought into it. And the way they had it set up was, if you refer your friend, then you get a portion of their profit. And if they refer somebody, you also get a, a smaller portion of that person's profit too. So it literally rewards the people at the top. Versus the people at the bottom who joined late and um, right. it was, I mean, it was obviously a Ponzi scheme. You had a lot of people in the cryptocurrency community on Twitter telling people, this is a Ponzi scheme and you just stay away from it. Um, but, you know, BitConnect had a really good marketing team. They held these big events and were like promising these crazy returns. They're like, you get 1% back a day, you know, every day. And it finally blew up. They had a couple, um, A couple things passed against them. Um, I think in Florida and Texas, where the state legislatures there, that hit them with a you know cease and desist order. And um, you know the way a Ponzi scheme works is you keep you keep bringing in new people
0: to pay Mm -hmm.
3: the original investors, and you just try to keep it going as long as possible. And what I think happened was because Bitcoin's price fell a bunch, it hit like it hit twenty thousand, I think, early December or mid-December or something, and it fell all the way back down to about 13000 And that huge drop, I think, caused them to lose a bunch of money. And all of a sudden, they had, you know, like the game was up, basically. They didn't have enough money to pay everybody.
4: Yeah, it came when, tumbling when, down, yeah.
3: That's when a Ponzi falls apart. And they vent, they closed down everything the other day. And it was funny, they, they said they gave people back their money, but what they gave back to them was a specific BitConnect token. It was like their proprietary token. And they said, okay, well, you know, you're going to get back uh, your BitConnect token at, you know, the same amount. It's like worth uh, exactly the amount of Bitcoin that you had invested or whatever. So, hey, everyone gets their money back. But what happened was everyone immediately went to exchanges and dumped all their BitConnect coin. The price went from $300 to like 98 cents in like an hour. (laughs) Oh,
1: shit.
3: (laughs) So people lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And people, I, I hope to God people are going to jail over this because it's just, I mean, they were they were these guys on YouTube, like promoting it constantly being like, yeah, sign up. You're going to be rich, you know, just getting people's greed, you know? And, and since the cryptocurrency markets are basically unregulated at this point, you know, they can get away with shit like this. And, you know, it's, it's a shame because it, it scares away people from getting involved in, in cryptocurrency because they hear stuff like this.
4: Right. It gives it a bad name. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, it does. And it's, it's not a bad thing. Like, you know, I've, You know, I know people who've made a whole lot of money off of cryptocurrency. I've made an okay amount of money. I made a lot of stupid mistakes when I first got started, but that's just growing pains and, you know, expensive mistakes. But, you know, I'm still doing good for myself doing it. And, you know, it's fun for me, too. Like, it's fun for me to trade it. It's kind of like. It's kind of like gambling a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm a little yeah. bit of a degenerate, so I enjoy like the thrill of, <laughs> of doing it. You know? But I try to like I try to make sure that I have good odds on stuff. But you never know. I mean, it's the same goes for investing in stocks. You never know which direction something's gonna go, and you can buy in and price drop. You can um, only make educated decisions on it. Exactly. A lot that's what a lot of people get into. A lot of people don't make educated decisions. They just buy whatever people are telling them to buy on Twitter. They don't they don't know anything about reading the charts, they don't know anything about you know, the fundamental aspects of what you're investing in. I mean, that's why a lot of people, what they'll do, you know, they'll buy. There are people who are like mortgaging their houses and buying Bitcoin at $18,000. And I'm just like, guys, the price is up 3000% over the last year. I mean, like, there's no way this is sustainable. Like it can't (laughs) just keep going up forever and ever and ever. And yeah, it'll go back up. But I guarantee you all those people who bought at 18,000 sold when it hit 10,000, you know, and (laughs) lost a ton of money. And then they'll wait until it starts going back up again, and then they'll buy the top again. It's, you know, people always hear, you know, buy low, sell high, but in in actual practice, and I mean, I can say this from experience, in actual practice, it's hard to do that because you see something going up and up, and you're like, oh, I got to get on board, you know, I got to get on the train. Uh, But it's like, you've already missed the train, you know, you need to wait for the next train to come to the station because there's always going to be a next train, you know, you just got to be patient.
1: Where where does the value actually come from in bitcoin that's what confuses me i don't understand i guess i I don't understand what it represents
3: it represents basically the value of the technology itself i mean it's kind of like when you buy apple stock right sure you're investing in like apple's technologies and their products so when you invest in a cryptocurrency you're basically investing in that company and investing in whatever that project is trying to accomplish um, and again, you know, things are only valuable because people are willing to pay money for them.
1: So, so you're uh, becoming the backer instead of the bank.
3: Basically, yeah.
1: Okay. That makes a little more sense.
3: <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, you saw this. This is why Bitcoin went from $20,000 down to 10000 because it was overvalued. Right. You know, and like it may keep going down to 8000 That's what a lot of people are predicting right now. Um, you know, I I bought a little bit more at uh, twelve thousand, and I bought a little more at ten thousand. But I'm probably going to hold off and wait and see if it hits eight thousand and really go you know hard into pain
1: on it. Okay, so back to the mining. Mm-hmm. Mining is discovering new new avenues, or like I don't really well, get how that whole thing works.
3: Mining, you got two different types of things that could be considered mining. You have got staking, and you've got mining. So Bitcoin is a proof of work algorithm, or proof of work. Like, uh, mining system basically means that when a transaction comes across the network, it comes packaged with a sort of like math puzzle, right? Right, and you use your computer to do the math puzzle, and whoever figures out the puzzle first, like gets that block, and they get the fee. It's basically you get paid a fee for processing the transaction. Okay, and. So what a lot of people do, you know, it's basically impossible at this point to mine Bitcoin as an individual. You'd basically join a mining pool. So you'd put your, your processing power into a pool with a bunch of other people, and then you'd share the, you know, the fee if you get it. Um, but it's a way to incentivize people to operate nodes and to basically create the network.
1: Okay. It's
3: kind of like, like the internet. Like you're mm-hmm. adding a server to the Bitcoin network when you mine. Okay. So if, if nobody mines, then Bitcoin wouldn't work because it wouldn't have any nodes to do the transactions through. And it's got to have consensus. It's got to have more than one node to say. And that also what makes it decentralized, too, because no one person has control over that network. You know, you've know, you got to have multiple uh, nodes confirm a transaction. Now, the other kind of uh, staking or proof of stake, the way that works, because there's problems with proof of work um, because it uses a lot of processing power. It uses a lot of electricity. And it's only using more. I'm sure you guys have heard how much electricity just Bitcoin uses. Um, and that's a major problem and something people who are in that space are trying to figure out how to work around. Uh, the other way you can do is where basically you put up some of your money as collateral to allow transactions to occur, right? So, say you put up, you got to verify a transaction. Right. And by doing that, when the transaction is verified, you get a small fee and get your coins back. Now, this doesn't use any real lot of processing power. It's much more easy on computer and easy on the network than like proof of work. But, you know, it's a different sort of system that has risks. But it's useful in some ways because it allows people to make passive income by holding the coin. You know, so it's like like Lisk is an example. Uh, Lisk is an altcoin and if you own Lisk, you can. Uh, there's 101 delegates that are always active at one time, and these are kind of like the 101 nodes that are processing transactions. And each Lisk user can vote for a node, right? And the, only the top sort of 101 that receive the most votes process transactions on the network. And the way those delegates usually work is if you vote for a delegate, then you get a small cut of whatever fees they get. So just by voting for people and holding the coin you get more of it you know every week or whatever or whenever they pay out now it's usually not much but it's you get paid more the more you have so hmm. you know if you've got ten thousand Lisk, then you know you you get a pretty good amount uh, someone like me you might only have like you know 400 or so it's like you get maybe a tenth of a coin every week or something but you know it's free money
4: yeah true very that's true. sort
3: of like more like getting dividends on a stock you know, where, like, you, you kind of get paid for holding the stock. Well, did you have a question? A tenth of yeah. a coin's like like, $1,000, though, right? Well, not for Lisk. Lisk is worth, like, $20. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Bitcoin yeah. would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. yeah, okay. Yeah, the other... Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Right. Let's, let's get into the meat of this interview, uh, talking about your... Uh, your political viewpoints. Um, you know, this is something that's come up. I've heard you drop hints about it on where did the road go, and uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just interested in this. It's kind of like your point of view because I, I think it's. I don't really know where kind of the political viewpoints of the people that uh, listen to my show, whether they may be, maybe like in the middle to maybe to the more conservative. So I'm interested in hearing about your political viewpoints. And You describe yourself as a, as like a Marxist.
3: Yeah. I mean, like I self-identify as a Marxist.
4: Okay. So what does that mean to you?
3: So Marxism is basically a social theory, you know, created by Karl Marx that uses a thing called dialectical materialism, to take a look at sort of the history of the world and why we are, or at the point we are in history. And the basic idea of it is that our current culture and systems and relationships with other people are entirely based on the material conditions of those people in the society. So the big thing is right now, you know, we, we live in a capitalist society in the USA Um, Most of the world, most of the world's superpowers are capitalist. Um, But that is a relatively modern invention, Um, you know, kind of since, I guess, the 17th century or so, when things like the French Revolution and, and other revolutions kind of overthrew feudal systems and aristocracy. And those revolutions were largely put in place by, you know, sort of the Capitalist middle class, like shopkeepers and merchants and traders and that sort of thing. Yeah, the
4: bourgeoisie. Yep.
3: Yep, exactly. And basically, the way a capitalist system works is it exploits the labor of the working class, it takes all the fruits of their labor away from them and kind of pays them back in crumbs. And not only that, but, like, oppresses them through things like the police state, through racism, um, through, you know, in some countries, fascist systems. But in a socialist system, you have a society that's not ruled by the elite. Um, it takes the means of productions away from the capitalist class, puts it in the hands of the working class or the society as a whole. Like, I assume you guys aren't CEOs of a company, right?
4: No, we're CEO of of uh, conspiratorial.
2: I'm 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 CEO of my fry station. (laughs)
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, so you're workers. I'm a worker. Mm -hmm. Probably everyone you know is a worker. Okay. Like, when one of the kind of ideals of socialism is is basically seizing the means of production from these people and abolishing private property. And I think that's where a lot of people get confused when they first hear that because. By private property, they don't mean, I think, what you think they mean. Um, when most people think private property, they think about the things they own. Um, that's personal property, like your house, your toothbrush, you know, your PS4. Those are things that belong to you. No one's wanting to take those things away.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: When Marxists talk about private property, they're talking about like the factories, the mines. Uh, the media infrastructure, the transportation infrastructure, healthcare, communications, education—that sort of thing. Those are all systems that are run on advancing profit because that's the goal of a capitalist system: is to profit. Okay. So, in a socialist system, you take control away from those things, you make them collectively owned by everyone, by the workers, and they're run on the basis of fulfilling your needs. So, you know, there's, there's a famous saying by Marx, like, to each according to their needs and from each according to their means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, basically, you organize the system to utilize all the available resources to meet the needs of society, right? You unchange labor and you allow the state to provide basic necessities the industry. We have more than enough money and capital in our system to do that.
4: Hey, Ren, Especially, is your mic cutting in and out? Because um, we're like...
3: Could be my internet connection. Is that any better?
1: It's 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 good for the most part. Every now and, yeah. and then it's just dropping.
3: Okay. So, you mean repeating any of that? I don't know if you guys got everything.
1: I don't
4: think I heard the last couple of things.
3: Okay. So, so basically, in a socialist system, you can take the available resources that are now collectively owned. You can allow them to achieve their full productive potential and you can have the state provide all the basic necessities at no cost to the individual. So things like healthcare, food, housing, and recreation, those things are provided to everyone at no cost. Um, I mean, I don't know. It sounds pretty good to me.
4: <laughs> well, it sounds kind of like an ideal You know, I mean, my, my main problem Mm -hmm. and I want to, you know, I'll say this, my main problem with communism is it's just, it's like, it seems like an ideal in practice. It just hasn't worked out as well.
3: Yeah. And I can go into that. So there is a difference between communism and socialism, right?
4: That was the next question. Yeah.
3: Yeah. You can't have communism without socialism. Socialism comes first, all right. Because you have to have socialist revolutions in order to pave the way for communism. Like, I honestly think like places like the Soviet Union or whatever—they jump the gun on calling themselves communist because you can't quite do the communism until all the capitalists are gone. So, and that's exactly why those places failed. So, let's let's talk about Russia to start with. So prior to 1917, Russia was a fucking terrible place to live. It's almost hilarious. all of it was completely impoverished. Um, you had things like famine and starvation were commonplace. Women were exploited um, in factories and fields. Workers labored long hours for n- almost no pay. You had peasants that worked all summer long harvesting crops. And in a sort of a feudal type system, they were just, you know, they had to hand over basically everything except you know, just the bare minimum for them to get through the winter. And a lot of time they didn't make it through the winter and there was no public education at all. So after the 1917 revolution, within just a couple of decades, the Soviet union was able to industrialize the entire country, get rid of landlords, collectivize agriculture and provide free and universal healthcare and education to every Russian citizen. And, you know, their big accomplishment is they kicked the Nazis asses in world war II. They won the war. (laughs) So that was kind of the beginning of the end because they had to spend so much, so many resources fighting against Nazi Germany. Their entire country was like devastated. They lost a ton of their industrial capability because of that war. True. They lost tens of millions of lives and that weakened them significantly. And then World War II is followed by the Cold War where, you know, the U.S. basically messed with them at every single turn. And eventually caused the collapse of the Soviet Union. And you see a lot of, um, and there were other problems too. Like one of the problems you've seen in several sort of socialist revolutions is that while it's supposed to be a state for the people, by the people, and that fulfills the needs of the people, what happens is you still end up with a ruling class of people who become increasingly disconnected from the needs of the common people. I mean, you saw this in, uh, Russia, you see this in China as well. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, China eventually started playing around with world markets and they've basically become a capitalist society again too.
4: They're communist Uh, in name basically.
3: Basically. uh, yeah. I mean, they still have some communist policies and stuff, but in general, they're more, they're more of a capitalist system nowadays. Um, now one place that has managed to basically survive with socialism intact is Cuba. Um, Cuba has like the highest life expectancy in Latin America. It's highest literacy rate. Uh, Their infant mortality rate is actually much better than the U.S. Um, Everyone there has free school, free healthcare. Um, They actually provide medical training for people. Like if you want to get, if you want to become a doctor, you can actually go to Cuba and and study medical school. Like go to medical school there for free. Yeah, and they have some of the best Mm -hmm. some of the best doctors in the world live in Cuba. And that's large, you know, and this is in spite of <laughs> like decades of the U S trying to choke them out. It's incredible. I just can't believe they haven't collapsed yet. Yeah. Um,
4: I, I think things are going to change though soon over uh, there. It's, it's, it's kind of getting to the point where the, they're going to, the markets are going to, their markets are going to open up mm-hmm. and there could be, I mean, s- maybe Some exploitation of it.
3: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Um, Another thing people like to bring up too is like the the famines in Russia. Like, you know, like, oh, Stalin starved, you know, 4 million people or whatever. Um, There's a couple ways you can look at that. Like, a lot of people don't understand what caused the famine. Um, The main reason behind that famine, and it did happen, and a lot of people died because of it. The main reason behind it was um, a lot of their farmland was in the Ukraine. And they had sort of the Ukrainian farms were still privately owned by a class of people called the kulaks. Right. Um, so the kulaks controlled the farms in sort of a feudal system, you know. And the Russians said, you know, well, we're a socialist country now; we got to collectivize the farms. Um, and the kulaks didn't like that very much. So in response to that, they decided to call uh, Russia's bluff and start burning their own crops they burn their own cattle and they would also burn the crops of uh, the collective farms that they'd set up largely with the uh, with jewish immigrants and they're they were counting on the fact they're like well even if we burn all our stuff in protest uh russia's not gonna just let us starve like they'll send us food right the problem is they produced like 40 percent of the food for the soviet union so of course they didn't have food to send them and a lot of people starved to death um basically the kulak's fault and so they they actually that's an interesting
4: perspective that i've never heard
3: yeah well yeah you generally won't hear that um because you know especially propaganda in america needs to put forth the idea that socialism is scary and bad and that you know that they did it on purpose and all this kind of stuff when it was really the still the remnant capital interests in that country that caused that famine to happen and they actually waited two years they said okay whatever we'll just We'll wait two years. You guys can continue to operate your farms. Um, we'll, we won't try to collectivize again. And then, you know, after two years passed and they decided to try to collectivization again. And they did the same shit. They burned their crops. You know, they threw a fit. A lot of people starved again. And, but, yeah, I mean, you know who didn't starve were, were the Kulaks, right? Because they had money. They could still buy food. It was the people working the Kulaks farms that starved to death. Um. Anyways, like, that's when they finally said enough is enough and a lot of the kulaks got sent to the gulag or you know took a bullet because they were they were through with it and that's one of the problems with a lot of the socialist revolutions is you they're necessarily violent you know because the powers of capitalism will hold on to the bitter end with what what they have right they won't let it go that's why in the u.s you have things like you know the police here that's what a lot of people realize about the police in this country. Um, Like 90% of crime is because of inequality. Okay. In a socialist system where everybody's needs are provided for, everybody has healthcare, everybody has an education, everybody has housing, you know, everybody has food. Like you don't really have that much crime and you necessarily, you don't need police. People lived for thousands and probably millions of years. Human beings lived for millions of years with no cops. You know, and you could seriously, like, there's no need for a police force in a socialist system. And, and the police that exist in this country today exist solely to protect the interests of capitalism, they protect property, they protect the rich, like, they don't protect and serve the common people.
4: As far as Russia is concerned, mm-hmm. and we'll get back to today. And what, whether there's in in your opinion, this can lend a solution to what's going on now. As I understand it, Marx would not have Russia would have been the last place that he thought the revolution would happen, because Marx was a Western European. He was a German. So he saw that you know where this should happen would be Germany, France, Britain, those places places that had an established economic industrial base,
3: yeah, um, I mean i th- I think the idea was that, especially like in dust capital and stuff, he was mainly looking at places right. that were industrialized,
4: so there would be this transitionary period of basically what is called socialism that yeah. s- slowly. You know the the reins of the reins of industry and capital would be put in the hands of the people, or the government would take care of it for a while, and then slowly that would disappear, and then mm-hmm. everything would be you would have pure communism. That was you know I'm sure as, as yeah. you're familiar that's Marx's idea, but yep. Russia hadn't done that. They had barely entered the industrial age by the time World War One happens, and by the mm-hmm. time the Russian Revolution occurs. And at some point, you know, they started this whole idea of war-communism during the Russian Civil War. And at some point after that, they realized that that just wasn't working. This kind of rush to collectivize just wasn't working. And so they had the new economic policy of the early 20s, which is more of a return to basically some forms of capitalism. And the Kulaks, as you described them, they kind of come up around. They're a little bit before, but they kind of rise, get more power around that time. And then there's this rush to collectivize again.
3: Yeah, because they saw the writing on the wall. They saw that what was happening. They were being undermined.
4: Yeah, and I understand, as I've understood it, that that rush to collectivize was essentially a disaster. And the same thing with the Great Leap Forward in China as well. Mm. That was another one. That was about collectivization of not just agriculture but also industry, and it was a huge disaster. Yep. And this yeah. led to the death of a this this led to the to the death of a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: The big thing with Stalin. Is the the you know I think more so than the than the famines is the are the purges as mm-hmm. well. And just how tightly controlled you know Stalin was. Uh, yeah. the, the control that he had over his country, and you know I've heard you describe let's say like Stalin was right <laughs>
3: <laughs> well I'm and I saying that's a very slightly, uh,
4: yeah that's a very unpopular unpopular yeah. theory, even among a lot of communists right because definitely yeah. the, the trotskyists don't think that Stalin was right,
3: yeah well you know? I mean there's a lot of marxists that hate Trotsky too, but I mean when I say that i'm I'm also like being partially ironic and just trying to get right right right
4: right right I got gotcha. you like, yeah
3: so he was right to persecute the kulaks cool um he messed up in other places i mean like no one's perfect right like i mean literally i think a lot of people think that um this like these socialist revolutions it's like the first time in history people have been trying to do this right and so obviously the first couple of attempts are not going to work out as well because you still have fallible people in charge Um, that are doing the things. Um, It doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive for it. It just means that, you know, the system is hard to implement. It's hard to get rid of, like, the things that capitalism breeds into culture and society as well. I think it's one reason um, Mao Zedong had, you know, this uh, great cultural thing. Like, the idea was, and I think it's mostly driven out of fear, they thought that there were elements within their system that was trying they were trying to bring back capitalism and they were doing things to try to head that off and you know and a lot of there were probably a lot of innocent people who died because of that right and there're probably people who actually were counter-revolutionaries who died but you have to look at it from the perspective of all of the sort of capitalist superpowers, because, you know, the U.S. emerged as basically the number one capitalist superpower after World War II. And, you know, you had people like uh, Patton wanting to immediately go to war with Russia. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they basically faced opposition from day one. And you have to look at how that sort of opposition from the most powerful sort of capitalist state in the world would cause you to mess up over and over again because you just got this you know huge looming bear just bearing down on you all the time um
4: i i don't think that the i don't i don't think that the russians or the soviets i don't think that they were totally innocent though
3: you know uh, i mean there were people certainly there were people in the party that were like not in tune with the needs of the workers and that that's something that a lot of things a lot of studies of marxism stuff bring up yeah was that you have to maintain and that's you know, that's another problem with like labor unions in the U S too. You know, you have these systems that are supposed to protect the needs of the workers. And yet you have a system of bureaucrats that emerges from that sort of revolution who are disconnected from the workers and try to make concessions to the capitalists. And all it does is halt progress and it undermines the whole revolution.
4: Well, I think it's just, it just all comes down to like human nature in my, this is, this is my opinion. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think there's no such thing as pure. There can never be anything such as pure communism, just like Mm -hmm. there could never be such a thing as pure capitalism like what Adam Smith wrote about. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think human nature just takes over every single time and it's uh, something always happens.
1: I agree. We need robots to supervise us. Yeah. (laughs) The Bitcoin algorithms.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I disagree on that. And, you know, this is a, a Marxist idea that um, humans are not inherently greedy, um, that that greed is built into them by capitalism. Um, because for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, primitive humans lived without greed, without profit, and without private property.
1: Um, yeah, but we have I, to, I think they were probably still pretty horrible to each other, though.
3: I'm sure they killed each other and did bad things to each other. Sure, <laughs> yeah. But you have to remember that a lot of what we think of as like modern warfare, um, came about because of civilization. Like, basically, if you look at the beginnings of like, so one of the big things in, in Marxism is class consciousness and like class theory, right? So you know you have two classes of people, basically the haves and the have-nots, um, the workers and the the capitalists, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Now that whole system emerges from things like agriculture and city building because once people started producing a surplus of food, you had some group of people hoarding that surplus instead of distributing equally amongst everyone in the group. And then those people needed to have ways to protect themselves from the group, right? Like, because, you know, the group's not going gonna to sit by and let this one person hoard everything. So that's, why things like police forces and why things like, you know, armies and guards were raised mm-hmm. were created basically to protect that group at the top that has all of that extra surplus. And you see this system evolved throughout history to things like uh, slave societies, like in, in ancient Rome where, you know, 50% of the population is slaves and they have to have this huge standing army just to protect themselves from the slaves to after the collapse of the Roman Empire, you have like feudal systems in Europe that basically did the same thing. You have serfs that are living on this land. They don't own anything. They, they work the farm for the privilege of getting enough food back to maybe survive the winter. But every bit of their surplus goes to the Lord and the Lord's hire knights and an army to take care of them whenever the peasants get feisty. You know, and you see the same thing today where, you know, basically a small group of billionaires controls both our government. And all of the capital and and means of production in this country. And the police force acts as their private army to protect them from you and me.
4: Well, it seems like that's where we're getting to, doesn't it? Because Marx, one of his his theories, and I'm sure you're aware, was that the revolution would not come until – and it's almost like Lenin and those guys in Russia, it was all premature – this had not happened yet, they thought it was happening. it's almost mm-hmm. like it's almost just like um uh prophecy in the evangelical community we thought we think it's gonna happen, so we need to do something but mm-hmm. the it's interesting how there's a parallel there but but Mark's what Mark said was what is going to happen is fewer uh, the the means of production are gonna become we're gonna become invested in fewer and fewer hands mm-hmm. to eventually you maybe just have a few people that control everything at the top. And then at that point, the revolution would come. That's what he said.
3: Yeah, no, and he's right. I mean, and what you have emerge from that progression of the accumulation of capital to the you know top elites is you have uh, the emergence of fascism because they have... To keep your eyes off the ball. You know, that's how they do the magic trick. They have to misdirect you. They have to foster things like racism, sexism. You know, they have, to, they have to distract you from the fact that they're the ones controlling your life. You know, and as people become more and more displeased, they have to ramp that up and they start having to implement fascist policies that take away rights, that try to keep you from organizing that try to keep you from fighting for a better life for you and, you know, other workers. And I mean, you, you see that happening. It's, it's a process that's happening in the U S right now. I mean, you've got uh, them talking about implementing a national right to work policy across the country, um, which would, you know, decimate labor unions because labor unions are the only thing that allow workers to collectivize and, and draw concessions from the bosses in the capitals. Uh, the capitalists you know so they don't want you to organize but now they're doing it through policy what they used to do when you organized and when you had strikes is they would hire a bunch of pinkertons to come out and beat your ass and shoot you Um, (laughs) right now nowadays they put in legislation like national right to work and when you get hired at a company you know you go to work for target they make you watch a hour-long video you know on your first day about how unions are bad and you know you shouldn't be in a union you shouldn't you know, have any kind of collective bargaining agreements or anything. And, you know, they, they try to make people love their bosses. You know, they have national, what national boss appreciation day. Like, that's what I don't understand. It's like, why, since when did your boss become your friend? Cause you know, I, I at least remember a time in at least music that I've heard from like, you know, I'm not old enough to have lived in the seventies, but I remember music in the sixties, and seventies that portrayed the boss man as the bad guy, you know? Yeah. And, now we're supposed to love our bosses, you know. That, that's also what I don't get about people uh, who kind of lean more right, who are workers, right? They're at the bottom, like the literal bottom, um, and yet they they love capitalism and they hate they hate Marxism. Even though all they have to lose is their chains.
4: Luke is over fight. here nodding his head when you were saying that.
3: <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll fight for the capitalists. And they, they don't understand that it's a boot stomping on their face. And they just lick in the boot. They love it. They love the taste of that boot. <laughs> I, I don't understand it at all. Because it's like, what are you fighting for? You don't even like people, especially recently, you know, they're like, oh, the stock markets are the best they've been in years. And it's like, do you even own f- stocks?
1: <laughs> like, why would I'm going to you?
4: have to do a lot of editing on this one?
1: <laughs> oh wait, yeah, Sorry. yeah. Let me mark that down. <laughs> it's all right, Red.
4: I, Luke is, is wanted to ask something. He's over here smiling, not in his head. I, he just,
2: I'm just, I'm, I'm a capitalist through and through, dude. I just, yeah, it's,
4: yeah. He's like,
2: yeah. But, I, so what do you have to gain from it though? I mean, do you own stocks? Do you have any
3: capital? I mean, no. do you
2: own a factory? No, I I, I don't. But um, you I know, mean, he, he's
4: <laughs> my basket.
2: I, I'm just I'm a fry guy in a barbecue restaurant. I like the like I make poverty level wages. Yeah, but yeah, but the thing is, um, if I were to get off my ass and actually apply myself, like I know I I'm smart enough to move up. And la- oh, or, uh, sorry rob move, <laughs> up the, m- move up the ladder but that's the thing though it's just a step ladder
3: right like you'll never get anywhere near where the people who control this country are you know you might have a, a little more comfortable life but they can take that away from you at any moment right you now oh yeah like i, I you understand know, it's, just, that. it's like you're just you know the like there's a limit to what we can achieve. They they feed you this line when you're in school that you know you can achieve your dreams and everything, but like they're going to take everything away from you because they can because you have no power, you know. Like, and and I'm not saying like in a, in a socialist system there wouldn't be money or anything. You'd get paid more, <laughs> you know. Like everyone because when you work, you know, like you really only get paid for like an hour or so. Of your, eight you know, 40 hour work week, mm. you know, you're not getting the, the, the money that you're generating, the product of your labor is being sucked right to the top of the company you work for, you know, like you had the circuit city, like have to lay off 4,000 employees because they're paying them too much. The average wage for them was like minimum wage. <laughs> okay. But their CEO still pulled an $8 million paycheck that year. Oh yeah. Like, where's the problem there? There's there's some kind of allocation distribution problem in this equation, you know. Like that's the thing, and I, that's what I don't understand. Right. Yeah.
4: and, that, and like. that's a real problem that we uh, face. It's a real problem.
2: I
0: yeah,
2: and I, I see I see all mm. that happening. I I see that, but from my personal experience, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not the smartest guy, but I also got a factory job making um, sixteen and some change an hour. Which mm-hmm. was which was far above what I required to you know make a decent living. Mm-hmm. So I I had enough like I had paychecks you know stacking up, and mm-hmm. I didn't even really have to apply myself to get this job. I mean, like it was just yep. your run of the mill sort of application process. But, but you know why you were making that much money at the factory, right?
3: Um. <clears throat> no,
2: <laughs> <laughs> It's because of,
3: it's because of the sweat and blood of unions that fought for factory workers for decades in this country. You know, like that's why fast food workers make pennies is because they don't have a union. Um, and that's why unions are so important.
2: Okay, were so, you a union member when you were working at the factory? Uh, no, they didn't even have anything like that. We could sign up for like it, it was non-existent. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the way it is these days. It's hard to join a union these days. Most places I've had the unions broken up.
1: So, just play devil's advocate here for a second, mm-hmm. Ren. I want to take your uh, Circuit City um, thing. And uh, so, so, say they, they lay off a whole bunch of people because they can't afford to pay them. Mm-hmm. So now their customers are not getting the attention they deserve. They're not getting the help that they deserve. And mm-hmm. they stop showing up and they stop spending money and they start going somewhere else. So, Circuit City starts going on a decline. And mm-hmm. somebody else starts to rise up to replace them. That's how mm-hmm. capitalism is, you know, kind of, in, in theory, intended to, to sort of work. Do you think that well, is not? That's not what
3: happened with Circuit City, though. When they announced that they were laying off people, their stock price went up. So they actually made more money. They were more profitable. And that's usually what happens. Um, I mean, that's, that's the big thing about unemployment figures in this country now. Uh, unemployment looks lower than... You know, it has been, but that's because a lot of people are just dropped out of the workforce. It's also because a lot of companies have one person doing the jobs of five people now. Because, um, you know, production, in terms of like what we as workers produce in this country is at all time highs. And the amount of labor that's being extracted from you is far more valuable than like what you're paid in return for that work.
1: Sure. I, I get that.
3: So in your in your suggestion about like uh, things like competition,
1: right? Yeah.
3: So if we're talking about pure socialism here, the idea is that there's no profit, right? Like every business in a socialist system, every industry works on a non-profit basis, right? So in that case, if you don't have profit, then there's no competition.
1: The incentive for the evil, nefarious stuff isn't there.
3: Yeah, basically. Like, gotcha. people people still get paid money, and there's still, like, currency and things like that, but there's no profit in the business. Basically, like, let's say you work for Circuit City, and you've got 7,000 employees, right? So all the money that Circuit City makes doing whatever they do, like, is equally distributed amongst all the people that work there, no matter what you do. And so... And they don't reinvest themselves like that. That money. Normally what happens is when you work for a company, most of the money that you produce, you know, you get paid a few crumbs of it and the rest of it goes to the top and they use it to reinvest in themselves. It creates this endless cycle. And the problem with this is there's an endless drive to grow those profits. Okay, Uh like it never stops growing like, you know, companies have to grow infinitely. And just like we saw with the Bitcoin price when it hit. $19,000, $20,000, Nineteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars. It can't go up forever. Like that's that's the main thing I think a lot of people who are capitalists don't quite recognize is that, like, in order for capitalism to like not collapse, there has to be infinite growth. Yeah, and we true. live in a finite planet with finite resources. Right. Like it can't grow infinitely. Um, there, ha- it, it'll eventually reach some point of stasis. There won't be any more growth, and it'll collapse on itself. Um, and that need to grow is also what fuels things like war and imperialism because that was one of the main reasons for colonization in you know the 1800s 1700s it's one reason for like our you know wars of aggression in the middle east and stuff
4: yeah, natural this, resources
3: yep. yeah it's this need to open new markets because eventually you wear out the market in your home country right you can't grow anymore so then you got to start invading other countries to grow more
1: well, I was going to kind of bring that up earlier. I think that that is inherent in every system, including political systems. And I think the growth and collapse is just another part of that. Like, I'm not saying that um, it's necessarily a good thing mm-hmm. that, you know, a society might grow and then crumble and then regrow and then crumble. But I think it might be mm-hmm. inevitable, regardless of it, whether it being a capitalist society or a communist society. I think it's just the nature of mm-hmm. things. It's a cycle.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the idea behind socialism is that you break that cycle because without the need to grow, like you only produce enough for like everyone to have what they need. Right. And we can do that. Like we do that today. We produce enough food to feed the world. Like the top, I think like 17 billionaires in the world have enough money to end world poverty seven times over. Like the money is there, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't make, I mean, I know it makes sense that we're not doing it because of greed and because these people need to control us. But like, we produce enough using like science and technology to provide every human being in this world with a level of comfort that we don't even have right now. Even people who are like lower middle class, like myself. Like, we could provide healthcare, food, housing, everything. To everyone and, and like free education, guaranteed labor. Like, that's that's the, the, the big Marxist thing is that there's no unemployment, like, everyone has a job, right? If they want a job, the like the reason there's unemployment and the reason why there'll never be no unemployment in a capitalist system is because unemployment provides a reserve labor force to then compete with other workers, right? Because that's the thing you'll hear. Like, you don't want to ask for a raise because this guy who's unemployed will do your job for three dollars less than what you get paid. And that constant fear of being undercut is what keeps workers in line. And That's why unemployment is a manufactured thing.
1: And okay, so on the other side of that coin, though, do you think that the the uh, we'll call it the the entry level workforce of various mm-hmm. industries? Do you think they don't need the um, the incentives? What do you mean by incentives uh well that 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 drive that that I need to make this uh, you know I, I need to work a little yeah. harder I need to to compete with the the guy next to me to to prove myself that kind of thing
3: well yeah I mean you could still have people wanting to like advance their careers and do more advanced things but if everyone's basic needs are taken care of like then like that sense of competition is reduced a little bit. There's still going to be people who are ambitious. <laughs> like, I, like, I'm ambitious, right? Right. I have a pretty comfortable life, but I'm still trying to get more for myself. Okay? There's always going to... Like, the idea that, like, welfare and things like that, like, kill people's ambitions. Like, it's simply not true. Um, people want to do a job. People generally want to work. They want to do something that fulfills them. And in a system where everybody's basic needs are cared for, then you don't have to worry about them being involved in a work system out of like fear or like basically slavery. I mean, let's face it as workers, we're basically all slaves to capitalism, right? Like if we decided we didn't want to work anymore, like then we're probably going to die.
1: Sure. <laughs> or, like we <laughs> yeah. not two months wouldn't from now be living under a bridge. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that
1: Or live in a cave like Luke used to. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Like Luke tried to.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, Ren. Mm -hmm. Okay. We we talk about finite resources. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we, how can we, if we were to have a global communist system Mm -hmm. with the finite resources that we have, how can we take care of everybody at the same level?
3: By proper allocation of resources. Like again, to everyone according to need.
4: That's the Um, that's the problem, though. For me, mm -hmm. is that just like who gets to decide that? And then does like the human nature aspect come into that? Once that people have to decide that, Mm -hmm. you you know, doesn't that just become its own form of dictatorship?
3: Ideally, oops. Ideally, you'd have a dem, like a truly democratic system in place. I don't know if it'd be like parliamentary or whatever. Um it wouldn't be like how the US currently is. Um ideally you'd have some sort of democratically elected system that was built by people who had the best interests of the workers in mind.
4: And you'd have to um, make and those workers would have to make them super accountable.
3: Yeah. Well, the other thing too is they should also be workers themselves. Like that's one of the big problems in the US, right? literally every single politician almost every single politician in the senate, house, even down to like mayors and governors and stuff, none of them are workers, right? None of them probably ever worked in their life. All right? They mostly all come from rich families or have ties to the banking sector or to industries because in order to run for office in this country, you got to have a whole lot of money. Right. Because you got to pay the media and the media is controlled by the capitalists. So,
4: or if you're Trump, you just manipulate the media.
3: Yeah. I mean, one of the, as much as I don't like ancient Rome, I I do like the idea that they had in their Senate where you had to like be a farmer or like a worker or whatever in order to be elected. And once you were done, like there were no repeats, right? Like when you did your term, then you went back to your farm. (laughs) You did being a farmer. All right like in my kind of ideal system that's sort of how it worked like you would need to be common people would need to be elected to office right you take all the money out of it you take all the all the media out of it because in a socialist system the media would be owned by everyone as well they wouldn't have this profit incentive and so you know the media let, let's say they would offer they would give airtime to you know so and so you know it would they wouldn't have to pay for it or whatever and a lot of places are like that, like, uh, I think like in England and stuff, like the whole campaigning process is only a few months long. And like the, the state TV or BBC or whatever, like sets aside certain timeframes for like different people to do like campaign speeches and things like that. It, it's not like it is here. But yeah, I mean, that, that is a problem, though. These are one of the kind of problems that we'll have to overcome if we transition to a socialist system, you know, we can always look at the failures of the Soviet Union, we can look at the failures of Communist China to get a better idea of what we should do the next time. Because I, you know, I don't think it's the last time we're going to see a socialist revolution anywhere.
4: So where do you see the, us going now in the United States? I mean, what, do you see <laughs> that there's a, that, this, that there is more of a left-wing revival going on? Are we going to have a socialist more? Because we already kind of, in some ways, have a socialist system.
3: We do. We Uh, did. (laughs) We had more of it, and they're trying to take away every single part of it they can. You know, defund Medicaid, defund you know CHIP for (laughs) children's health care. But yeah,
1: education is a sham.
4: But yeah, you know, where do you see this going? Because I mean, honestly, I've 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 thought about it and thought about it. This whole thing with Trump being elected I, I almost think that this is almost like the last gasp of the of the the right wing like um, they, like it's going to really turn very radically to the left
3: well, I think it'll turn more towards the center than the left because there's nothing a Democrat hates more uh they they put it this way: Democrats hate socialists more than they hate Nazis,
4: and that's an interesting
3: statement <laughs> <laughs> they did, they do trust me because. Well, a lot of people like to think of the Democrats as the left, and they're not the left. Democrats are centrists. They're some of the – there's decent ones that are reformists, but they're not leftists. Um, They're pro-war. They're pro-imperialism. You know, like I don't have any love for the Democrats in this country. There has been a popular movement, at least amongst some people, to socialism in this country uh, post-Trump election. Um, I think the DSA just hit 30,000 members, the Democratic Socialists of America, they just hit 30,000 members here recently. But overall, you still have a lot of the propaganda of the, you know, sort of of the 60s and 50s and stuff that still influence people today. They have a lot of misinformation. A lot of people don't really understand what Marxism is or why capitalism is bad and why it's keeping you from having like a a decent life. Um, And you even see this kind of like red baiting or red scare kind of crap going on amongst the democrats with this whole russia investigation you know like th- there's still democrats that think russia is still a communist country that's how <laughs> ill-informed they are so the future all yeah, right
4: that's totally not true
3: <laughs> now do you want um do you want the doom and gloom or do you want the positive
1: doom idea? and gloom all right, so doom Rob and gloom has,
3: first. Rob has
4: spoken. <laughs> all right,
3: so dim and gloom. I've said this a couple times in different places, but this is, assuming that we're living in hell world and everything's not going to get better, this is where I, I don't think things are going to go hard left. Um, I think things have to get a lot worse before they're going to go there, um, if at all. Because in a lot of ways, this country has built up its police and military infrastructure to make itself like near undefeatable in terms of being able to like put down a revolution or anything kind of what I'm based on different things. I'm seeing my sort of theory about what's going to happen in this country. It's a little conspiracy ish, but you know, I'm going to show called conspiracy normal. So maybe that's okay. Well, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I see happening, I, you know, I, we see increasing, you know, especially with this new tax bill, which is blatantly just like trying to suck up more money to the top. I believe the plan is to try to extract whatever wealth and whatever labor they can from people as quickly as possible. Because I think the people at the very tippy top see what's coming in terms of like ecological collapse uh, of Earth. I think they know things like global warming or you know climate change are happening. They know the what it's going to cause, the effects of it, the mass migrations. Uh, the drops in food production, the famine that's gonna result because of that. I think they know what's gonna happen. I mean ExxonMobil knew what was gonna happen back in the seventies. They ran studies on it and like they they calculated exactly how much like the sea levels are gonna increase. And you know what they did in return? They instead of like, you know, trying to maybe stop it from happening, they like raised the height of their oil rigs a little bit to to like cover the, you know, sea rise levels. So I think at the top, they know what's going to happen. They know things are going to get really bad. Um, You know, places like we thought things like the migrant crisis from Syria was bad. Mm -hmm. Wait until places along the equator becoming like, like completely uninhabitable because of how hot it's going to be there. You're going to have a whole lot more people coming North and coming into the U S and there's going to be violence. um, There's going to be starvations um and i think the idea is suck all this money to the top start building you know basically your doomsday bunkers your gated communities build the infrastructure you need to ride this out until the proletariat rips each other to shreds and militarize your police force and train them in military tactics so once so you could put down any kind of insurrection to protect yourselves and ride out the disaster. Um, I mean, we're already seeing this with the police force. You know, why do police forces need AR-15s and armored personnel carriers? You know?
4: Yeah, like, the militarization or, of the police, right?
3: Yeah. The only reason they would need to militarize themselves is if they're thinking they're need, going to need to put down an insurrection within the country itself.
4: And well, that's really dire, Ren. It is, but we yeah. talked a lot about that
1: last year too. Yeah, yeah, we did.
3: Yeah. What I see coming in worst case scenario is that yeah, we all rip each other to shreds, Mad Max style, while the um, you know top one percent kind of ride it out in comfort, protected by their militarized police force, and then they come out and reclaim everything, and then there's their power solidified for all eternity. You know, and by that time they'll have you know automated factories, completely automated workforces. They won't need workers anymore.
4: That is you know? if the blue avians don't save us first.
3: <laughs> or the, or the, the, uh, the space brothers, you know, that's what right. J. Otis. he was Trotsky. I, he had believed that the space brothers were communists and that if we just went ahead and nuked every, ourselves, then they would come down and help us clean up and you know, <laughs> we'd have, we'd have full cost, full, full luxury. Yeah. Space
4: yeah. He was pretty interesting. I was going to ask you about him as yeah. well. Yeah.
3: I like to jokingly refer to myself as a Posadus just because – I mean Posadus did have – like the Trotskyite idea was eternal revolution, right? That's why some people don't like Trotsky. Right. Because on some level, he knew that unless the entire world became socialist basically all at once, socialism or socialist revolutions would fail because you would still have these entrenched, powerful capitalist powers that would mess it up or they would fight against it. and I mean that is Mm -hmm. what happened.
1: Which is why I keep saying Google's going to become sentient The robots will rise up And we'll all be okay
4: Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably what is going to happen
1: <laughs> I'm so waiting like, for I'm ready <laughs> I am ready to serve my robot overlords
3: <laughs> I just want to be a robot, honestly I mean, Take out my brain And put it in a nice, sweet robot body So,
4: and- what's the best case right. scenario?
3: Same. So, <laughs> best case scenario Is
4: Unicorns and Skittles?
3: <laughs> yeah I mean, best case scenario is, you know, we start electing socialists into office and we start implementing actual socialist, like, ideas in this country. Uh, You know, we – like, I can give you kind of my list of things that I want to see in this country. I wrote all these things down. Yeah, that's fine. So, here's kind of the the, the sort of 11 things – they're all really short, but 11 things that basically I want to see happen in this country. But number one, the right to free public education and job training. Like everyone should receive free public education. Everyone should receive free job training. Um, The demilitarization of schools, basically like stop military recruiters from going to schools. It's ridiculous. When I I went to school in Walter Welburn High School in Alabama, and we didn't have a single college recruiter come to my school. But you bet we had a hell of a lot of military recruiters (laughs) come to my school. And most of my graduating class, most every guy in my graduating class went on to the military and they went and fought in Iraq, you know, and a lot of them didn't make it back. Yeah. Um, Number three, the the right to health care. Like we need universal health care in this country. Absolutely. People want to have private health insurance plans and like whatever, they can still pay for it. But there should be an option for everyone in this country to have like Medicare if they want it. You know, Um, it shouldn't be we're, we're the richest country in the world, and we don't even have universal health care for our people. There are countries way poorer than us that take care of their people way better than we do. Um, everyone has a right, number four, the right to housing. Everyone should have a place to live, right? I don't, if, it's some kind of Title Eight, Section Eight program for everybody, and it doesn't need to be like means tested to hell and back. That's the problem with a lot of social services in this country. We do have things that provide this for people. But you've got to go through this labyrinthine process to get it. And so most people don't even bother. But it's, it's a shame that we have millions of homes in this country that are just sitting empty. You know, like, just bought on speculation. We could house everyone in this country today. Um, number five, ICE needs to be completely disbanded. There needs to be no more raids and deportations. Um, it's ridiculous what ICE is doing in this country and what they've been empowered to do by this administration. Um, Everyone also deserves the right to a job or an income. Like, everyone should have a job. Like, Like I mentioned before, unemployment is manufactured. It's a way for them to have a reserve labor force to promote competition between the workers, to keep them from looking up, you know, get them fighting amongst themselves, you know, then they'll never fight you. Um, everyone has the right to a clean and healthy environment. Like Things like the EPA have a reason. You know, This is especially, it's really close to home for me because the town I came from was horribly polluted uh, for decades by the Monsanto Corporation. Really? Um, yeah. I come from Maniston, Alabama, and for, for decades, the Monsanto Corporation dumped PCBs into the local water supplies. They buried it on public land, and... There are thousands and thousands of people who are going to die of cancer, leukemia, have tumors on their body and stuff because the plane or being around infected earth or swimming in infected waters. Um, And they knew about it. They knew about it for a long time. And there was a huge lawsuit in the 90s. um, And, you know, a bunch of people got like, you know, class action suit. Um, And, you know, I knew people who were part of it and they got like, you know, $18,000 out of the settlement or whatever. Like that's going to cover cancer treatments. Most of them spent it within a year. And if you look at the amount they actually had to pay out, it equaled roughly a year of their R&D budget. That's it. It was, it was a drop in the bucket for them. And they got away with murdering thousands of people. Um, number eight, shut down the prison industrial complex in this country. Like the private prison industry in this country is outrageous.
1: Yeah, I agree yeah
3: like we incarcerate something like two million people um most of the people are in on minor drug charges, and a lot of states have agreements with these private prisons to provide them with a certain number like a certain quota of inmates per year. you know so they're the police are incentivized to arrest people and charge them with crimes at any cost, and generally that falls on people of color, marginalized people, and oppressed peoples.
1: We have the highest percentage per capita of people imprisoned. Yep. Land and it's, it's a whole
3: industry. You know, it, there's millions and millions of dollars that are made every year over the, off that. Because um, then those people are turned around and used for slave labor. Um, also, basically every person in this country has the right to self-determination. Basically, that just means to be free from racism, bigotry. You know, that, that means equal rights for women. It means equal rights for... Uh, lesbian, bi, transgender, and queer people. Um, everyone in this country deserves the right to live their life how they feel they should live their life. Um, and number ten, almost done. We yeah. got to defeat U.S. imperialism, right? Like we need to get the hell out of all these Middle Eastern countries that we're fighting and dying in for like no reason other than to fill the pockets of the military-industrial complex.
4: Oh hell yeah, I agree with that absolutely
3: like absolutely u.s. imperialism has to come to an end um and then um yeah 11 actually think i already said this but you know justice and equality for all women lesbian bi gay transgender and queer people like everyone in this country deserves equal rights like i don't care who you are what color you are who you like to have sex with how you like to present yourself in terms of your gender everyone has the right to self-expression everyone has the right to live their lives how they want to live their lives. Um, And yeah, I mean, that's kind of my bucket list of things that I would like to see change in this country, but best case scenario, we actually achieve these things, but it's going to require a lot of work and it's going to require a lot of collective organizing and effort amongst people like you and me and, and other workers, you know, like the only, nobody can win all this by themselves and we can't put our trust in one person like Bernie Sanders or, Elizabeth Warren or any other people, we can't put this all on the shoulders of one person. We have to work together. We have to collectively act because no power structure in the history of the world has ever been overthrown by a single person.
4: How do your, um, uh, relatives, peers, coworkers, I mean, do you, uh, do you discuss any of this with them? I mean, how do people receive it when you talk about stuff like this?
3: I do occasionally. Um, I mean, my family doesn't really have any strong political beliefs. Um, My my dad's never really cared about politics or religion or anything. Um, So, I mean, I've talked to him about this kind of thing. Um, You know, I live in Minneapolis. It's a pretty blue area. There's a lot of Democrats up here. Um, So, you know, I've had some arguments with Democrats about stuff, about, you know, free markets and that kind of thing. Um, I generally haven't really run into many kind of more conservative people or tried to argue with them about it. Um, even people that it's kind of funny. I, I've, I keep telling, um, you know, cause I talk in the, the cruising with steak discord a lot. And, uh, there are some people in there who are um, j- maybe just a little bit fash <laughs> or maybe like really conservative uh-huh. or right wing. Like I'm not going to name names, but I guess they know who they are, but you know, I don't, I need to engage with those people. You know, I don't need to just like hide from them or try to avoid them because the way you educate people and the way you turn people to your side and what way you get people to understand things like class and class consciousness is to engage with them. And you're not, not in a condescending way, not in a way where you're trying to make fun of them or just don't, I mean, it's, it's fun to make fun of people on Twitter, but in reality, like the only way to ever find solidarity with other people is to just talk to them. And a lot of times I've, I've been on late night conversations with some of these guys and, you know, I've, I've said things. I didn't necessarily say they were Marxist ideas, but I was just talking about things like the police and about central banking and stuff. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, and I'm just like slowly turning them into Marxists, you know, yeah, just
4: because there is stuff that we can agree on. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like even people who are conservative, there's things that we agree on. Like they don't like the state. I don't like the state. They don't like the police. I don't like the police either. You know, there are things that we can all agree on here. You know, at, at the very base, I'm just saying I want everyone to have a comfortable, healthy, fulfilling life, You, know, no matter who you are. And I don't think that's too much to ask, you know.
4: Yeah. I think it's good to engage. People need to engage more instead of just shut down. Mm-hmm. Like, I disagree, and uh, I disagree with you, so I don't want to even hear it, you know. there's There's a lot yep. of that going on.
1: Right, and so social media should have provided us a platform for that but it did the opposite somehow i still yeah, we'll don't have, understand why <laughs> it, it caused
3: people to uh it caused people to form their own little silos little echo chambers where they never talk to anybody who doesn't already share their views yeah and it makes people who are conservative it makes them more conservative leftist it makes them more leftist if they're not infighting there's a lot of in fighting. but um in general yeah i mean like that's funny that's actually i don't know if you guys ever played uh metal gear solid 2 like uh, Hideo Kojima actually predicted everything that's going on with social media in that game before there was even such a thing as MySpace. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, the idea was, as information becomes more free, people tend to only look at things that reinforce their own ideas, huh. and they only huh. talk to people who reinforce their own ideas.
1: Wow. That's-
3: and so that, inf- you know, they they form these little tribal groups that never experience anything outside of their group.
2: What the? Yeah. Uh, what console was that on? That's a PS2. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, I, I played Sons of Liberty, the uh, the the uh, Vietnam one, and VR Emissions on PS One. I never, I guess, I never played that one.
3: Yeah, everybody should play Metal Gear Solid Two. <laughs> an incredible, incredible work of social importance. Huh.
4: <laughs> well, Ren, thank you so much. What what are you working on in the in the in the uh, the realm of the weird lately?
3: Well, um, I've been doing some kind of outreach, and my, my other thing of trying to recruit people to do is recruit people to do magic. I, um, I actually wrote a uh, article called uh, Lieber Anarchia, which was sort of a, a beginner's primer to, to magic and sigil magic and, and sort of the spirit world and everything that has to do with sort of the occult. And I uh, wrote it for an anarchist magazine called uh, Street Fight which does a really great podcast called street fight radio. They're a lot of fun. And, um, I'm sort of, I've got an idea for sort of a book that I want to write. I just got to do a lot of research for it, but it's about, um, like the intersection of the occult and sort of the UFO phenomena, specifically looking at like the shapes of the UFO phenomena. Like you see, triangular ufos and like to me that that has a parallel with the you know triangles of art that you see in solomonic rituals and you know sort of ufos that are circular sort of remind me of like magic circles and sort of the idea that ufos could exist as sort of a um, you know a living breathing like a cult ritual
4: yeah we need to get you on to talk a lot more about that aspect of your work too
3: yeah but this, definitely,
4: but this has been very good. It's been very good to talk to you about this is he, sure. any guys do you want to add anything or
2: yeah my my brother made the point that um you know astronauts have proven uh, again and again on every space mission that the further you get away from the planet, the more your body starts to degenerate the more mm-hmm. the more physical therapy you have to do in space to maintain your uh, a healthy body weight mm-hmm. so it would only make sense for a, a um a craft to have to be organic to be able to sustain the, um, people or the the beings on board. Mm -hmm. Well, part of my
3: idea for that comes from, um, I don't know if you've ever read, uh, the changing light at Sandover by James Merrill, but it's a, uh, it's a book. It's considered a book of apocalyptic poetry, but it's like a 600 page book. Um, it's like one long Epic poem separated in several books. Uh, that's basically James Merrill and his partner, um, Channeled the entire book using a Ouija board, and they spoke to all these different spirits and intelligences. That, and they asked them all sorts of questions, and a, some about like occult stuff and about UFO stuff. Like, there's a point where he asked them about the flying saucers. It was like written in the 50s or the 60s, and um, the spirit he's talking to says that uh, they don't know what the flying saucers are either. They said the flying saucers are kind of like bees. Like they're they're they seem to be created from the earth itself. And they are kind of like living packets of information. And mm. I was like, ever since I read that, that was just the most fascinating idea to me. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been pursuing.
4: Well, that is fascinating. makes a
3: lot of sense though.
4: Well, yeah. Ren, thank you so much. Where can people find your work?
3: Um, I write uh, kind of like uh not updated frequently blog at liminalroom.com. And I mostly just post uh, stuff on Twitter um, at uh, at Mr underscore Paul. and you can also find me occasionally on Where Did the Road Go roundtables and um, do you mind if I plug a few kind of like leftist podcasts just since the show had that theme sure yeah, do your like. thing man okay so um, definitely there's a p- great podcast called Discourse Collective that talks about Marxist theory culture uh, it's run by a bunch of really funny guys uh, it's always an enjoyable listen um you know there are they're guys and girls on there and also uh kudzu commune which is specifically run by some uh, socialists from alabama and so i've been listening to it lately because it's been nice just hearing some southern accents <laughs> i don't get to hear that very often up here and you know you, you get to miss it after a while and um if you want something i know um a very popular podcast although your, your listeners may not be familiar with it is a uh, Chapo Trap House, which is, you know, a lot of people, some leftists have problems with the podcast. Um, you know, some, I definitely listen to it, but I listen to it because it's funny and because the people who are on it uh, make me laugh. And, you know, that that's a problem with a lot of, especially Democrats and Republicans and, and other podcasts in this country. A lot of them are just so deadly serious all the time, you know, and it's, why aren't we doing this stuff if we're not having fun doing it?
4: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amen, brother. <laughs> All right, rinse. Yes. Stay on the uh stay on the line for us and we're going to close this section out because we'll be right. back to close the show on Conspirin <laughs>
2: Luke yo, what do you think about that?: I think that you, you I, I'm, shaking your head and all I'm still stuff. capitalist you, fry boy capitalist.: I'm still survival of the fittest.
4: You just be like um the Horatio Alger stories, just the fry the fry cook that makes it big
2: <laughs> Well, you know, it was a bus boy than one American ninja warrior. Oh <laughs>
4: well, that changes it all, then, doesn't it? I mean, that, should, that changes the whole thing. If
2: that doesn't totally shift your perspective, I don't know what will. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I thought Rin had some pretty good points. Yeah, I felt that he did. Yeah, I, well, I and I don't think it really supports communism per se, but I think no, he had some and, good points.
1: And like you said, uh, that at at some point, you know, it 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 kind of it. Kinda, it it's a thing that looks really good on paper. It works out as far as, you know, as long as you keep human nature out of the equation. And he even said himself at, at one point that, um, I don't remember, who, maybe it was Karl Marx, but somebody said that, um, you know, until the whole world decides that they're on board and jumps on board, it won't work. You know, and it, and I yeah. think that's kind of, there's some truth there too. Yeah. And I think, but also I think that capitalism can't work without some socialism. I don't think socialism can work without some capitalism. Mm-hmm. You know, you you can't have a system that just is survival of the fittest without taking care of your your core population and letting all of the money bubble up to the top and kind of you know starts to rot from the inside. Then, so yeah, yeah.
4: it's always yeah. you always have to have some kind of perfect there's, balance. There's elements in some way. of
2: every different government going on here, really. Yeah.
4: yeah, I mean, people learn from the mistakes of history, and they combine different theories and ideas to try to find something that works and then you also have the
1: difference between ideal and reality yeah and I mean, that's just what it is i definitely agree that what we have going on right now is not working and it's headed in an even worse
2: direction right so. right for me man like i've i already work in like the most brainless industry possible <laughs> <laughs> and, and I've, I've you just had, drooled
4: to the fry grease all day. <laughs> all day. Uh,
2: no kidding, I've <laughs> had people come in there and not be able to slice a half moon shaped quesadilla into four separate slices evenly.
4: Uh huh. When I mean,
2: you think about that for a second, can't <laughs> yeah, that—that's the m- most basic. You know, and that's my and that's my point. You want to pay that person the same thing that you get paid? Yeah, exactly. No, I don't. Like, I'm sorry that your mom was on drugs when she was pregnant pregnant with you. Like, that's not my problem. (laughs) Like, you know, if if I had if I knocked my girlfriend up, like, yeah, I would not let her do drugs and stuff. You know, it would it would we would battle it out. Like, we would fight if she tried to. You know, I wouldn't. I would prevent that from happening. I'm sorry. It's within the realm of personal responsibility. Yes, I agree. I'm sorry that that actually happens in the world, but that's not my responsibility.
1: And there needs to be accountability (laughs) too, you know, because people are people.
4: Right. Uh, Again, it all goes back to human nature. Rob, uh, tell everybody where they can find us on Patreon.
1: Yeah, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreoncom conspiranormal. We got several tiers there. We got a bunch of bonus episodes. We got to do something new there yeah so we know, will be seeing a minute we will be but seen. uh there's there's already a lot of them up there and as soon as you subscribe you get access to all of them, there's uh wallpapers and we still got some t-shirts left and yeah uh if you don't want to go there, uh, you can do a one-time contribution through our website at conspiranormal and if you don't want to spend any money, we totally understand because we're all poor too, you can just support us by giving us a nice five star review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to listen to the show.
2: Absolutely. I'll send you nudes if you donate. There you
1: go. Oh, man. $1,000
4: for some Luke nudes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We got a new tier on the. Well, (laughs) just let's lower the bar a little bit, okay? Lower the bar a little bit? Maybe like 10 bucks (laughs) or something.
4: (laughs) Luke and his Speedo with his fry
2: basket. That'll that'll be the new wallpapers from (laughs) now on. You get to choose the Speedo that you want from my collection. (laughs) And there are many. (laughs) Or you can send me some. No,
4: what you ought to do is to take your fry basket and cover your crotch with it.
2: Just your spatula. Hey, as much as I give a shit about my job, I will actually do that, okay? I will get naked at my job if you guys donate. Anyway, it's so good to have you back, Luke. <laughs> All right,
4: guys. Uh, thank you so much. We're going to have Timothy Renner joining us, and uh, we're going to try to do a short Patreon thing with him as well. So that's what Ooh, we, we should have on. Cryptozoology? Yep. yep. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about his book, Beyond the Seventh Gate. So, Word. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be back next time on Conspiranormal!
0: Conspiranormal! Mr. Sister Fister.